Hi, thanks for tuning in. This is Druggist for the People. This podcast will contain my feelings and opinions and uh, stories from from my practice in pharmacy, but none of this should be taken as just hardcore fact. This is more about stimulating questions that you can then take to your pharmacist and your doctor and your healthcare team uh, to help you better understand and participate in your care. And once again, just a little reminder, if you're looking for medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, you won't find it here. You need to use your healthcare professional for that. Today, the people is Tony. Welcome, Tony. Good, good to have you here. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm good. Good. What's on your mind? Well, you know, um, I am a, uh, I, I have had uh, prostate cancer, and I have some thoughts here that I thought maybe uh, your audience might uh, be interested in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I appreciate um, the opportunity to hear and for you to share those things. This is not one, very often we'll cover a specific drug or group of drugs. So this is, this is about um, a condition and how, and your experience with it. And we can talk about some treatment options as we move along. That's great. That's great. I think, um, you know, any way we can be helpful to people who may have been afflicted with this or, or uh, think they might have it, uh, uh, certainly want to help these people. Okay, good. I'm just going to real quick go over some some standard sort of treatments. The whole the process for diagnosis and that kind of thing we can talk about as you as you share your story. But great, there is the wait and watch uh, option, which that's not uncommon uh, depending on what the the diagnosis and the biopsies and the PSA and these kinds of things indicate. Um, and then there's surgery, and there's a variety of options there. Then there's hormone therapy. Well, there's hormone therapy, but that's uh, there are a lot of options there, and there are a lot of uh, different times throughout in the course of this that it might be used. And radiation therapy as well. So um, I should say that in addition to uh, there's immunotherapy, which is kind of the new stuff you hear about in cancer treatment. Are you familiar with that one? I'm not terribly familiar with that one, but I've heard of it. It's pretty cool. It's like uh, it's like trading a dog and sicking it on something that you don't like. So, so take you basically take the white blood cells out of the person, expose those white blood cells to the uh, cancer cells. So now they recognize those cancer cells and are trained to 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 attack them. Then you input infuse that back into the person, and it's a specific targeted treatment for uh, using your own immune system to attack that uh, those cancer cells. So I, I think that's kind of an amazing manipulation of. Uh, our, our own bodies and immune system to treat a, something like that. That sounds like a great course of action, and uh, I wish I had uh, been aware of that at the time. Well, it depends on where you're at. Um, here's here's something I just have to before we get too deep. This is this involves so many specialists with with degrees of knowledge that that we're going to have to uh, scan. You know, sort of. Not skip, but accept. Um, so I can't say exactly when that's your best option. There are things like cost and, again, w- what stage are you in? Um, so I'm not sure when that becomes one. That would, would be a very expensive uh, option. I'm not sure what the risk-benefit, what the algorithm would call for using Im- immunotherapy. So um, does that make any sense to you, those basic options for treating 
Absolutely. Uh, the, what I was going to bring up is that uh, the first thing is, is make sure you do some research and talk to as many people as you can um, and uh, find support groups. Uh, there's a lot of people that are willing to help. Well, uh, and that's, that's fantastic. Um, what we often talk about here on this podcast is trying to, to help people get involved in their own care, to, mm-hmm. to, to learn about what the risk benefits are, to work with their healthcare team, including their pharmacists, their physicians, anyone that, that might be participating in their care. And in that way, coming to a, a decision that's, that's theirs in conjunction with their doctor. Um, so there's, there's like questions. Um, I thought we might be able to break it down into Tony, like when you're told that you've got prostate cancer, what, what kind of questions for you came to mind? And then how did you follow those up into, you know, deciding on which treatment you were going to use? Well, you know, um, most men, uh, this, this area of their body is very near and dear to them. So, um, they, it's, it's, it's a shock. It's an initial shock. And, um, there's, uh, the trauma and there's, uh, sometimes a sense of urgency or a sense of denial. Okay. Um, and um, so what you have to do is, is sort that out. And uh, with prostate cancer, it's interesting that you don't need to rush into anything mm-hmm. uh, because the it takes it develops so slowly. But that having said that, um, you do have to take some kind of action, some kind of uh, within a specified period of time because you don't want it spreading. Right. So that's... There, there are some questions, and I've, I've looked some things up with the American Cancer Society and some of the things that, that are suggested there as far as questions. Um, what are the chances that it spreads? So was that immediately addressed with you? It was. It was. And, uh, you know, 13 out of 100 men get this. Uh, so it's not an unusual uh, yeah. disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the spreading, once it gets out of what they call the capsule, and you maybe you want to elaborate on that, uh, that's when you can get into some trouble. Right. Um, there's, uh, we will get to that, but the, the, um, so are there any other tests? Did that occur to you when you were told this? Did you, did you feel like you had to find out, are there any other tests that you need to know about before you decided on a treatment? Yeah. Um, you know what the, 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 the initial test is a PSA. Right. And once you hit a, a four on your PSA, you got to start paying attention. But just because the PSA may be indicative of something doesn't mean you have prostate cancer. Uh, not only the PSA, but the velocity, what they call the PSA. In in other words, how quickly your PSA is going up uh, is also an indicator. And uh, some other things can drive the the PSA other than prostate cancer. Inflammation. Inflammation. And and the the signs and symptoms of prostate cancer are the same same ones for BPH, which is benign prostatic hyperplasia. Right. Um, And so... It doesn't very often these tests are ordered and it doesn't result in this diagnosis. But this is these are the things. This is the trail that you follow just to make sure that you're in good shape. Um, let's see if if there's a concern about cost, that might be something you would bring up at that early stage. Um, certainly, the treatment can be very expensive. Um, I was uh, at the time I was on Medicare, and that was that was kind of a relief. Uh, but uh, yes, it can be quite costly. But you know, most health plans will will cover that. Right. Okay. So then you get to where you're going to decide on how to treat this. So do you? You know, is is there? For you, it was not a simple process, was it? I mean, this is something that now you've got to determine what each intervention potentially will be. 
So you find out what are the benefits of each of those and what are the risks. But it's not always that simple, is it? It's not because each um, each treatment has its own set of uh, outcomes, uh, expected outcomes, and uh, and uh, after effects. And uh, so you need to weigh that. It's it's a very personal decision, and uh, it also not not only the uh, those factors, but the factor some some take longer and are much more involved procedures than than others. Uh, Right. And, and for you, you went to a, initially went to a urologist and had a recommendation and, and you might not, you weren't comfortable with that one? I wasn't. Um, I, I didn't like the idea right away. Um, in my first experience, uh, they wanted to rush into a biopsy. And the, the old, kind of the old, I guess you'd call it the old time approach would be take 12 samples. Mm-hmm. And you really don't know if you can get uh, any kind of a result with that. Uh, so I opted for, after my research, to go in for a, a MRI-guided um, biopsy because they that way they can sort of target the suspicious areas and get a, a better uh, read on what's going on. Right. And that, I, 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 I mean, I, I like hearing that because that's an intelligent and involved, thoughtful way of determining what you're going to do. Right now, if the if the first physician wants to take twelve samples and you feel comfortable with that, then that's what you do. But you you researched, you checked with another physician, and you decided ultimately to go that route. Correct, absolutely. Yeah, so I I think that being involved and determining what's the best treatment for you, who you feel comfortable with, it's nothing against the other doc. It's simply that you found someone that kind of synced up with you, and you had done your research, and I. I, I agree with you. I think that sounds like a much less you. It makes more sense to know that you're going to the right spot and getting a sample that's truly going to be indicative of what's going on. Exactly, and I, you know, that that comes as part of a. Uh, um, you know, I, I didn't take the first opinion, right? So I got uh, additional opinions on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. So these these different treatments that I've talked about: the surgery, the radiation, uh, the uh, hormone therapy, which the hormone therapy, a lot of times prostates, very, very many times are uh, androgen dependent. They're, they're responsive to testosterone. So there can be any number of, of treatments that are anti-androgenic. They'll, they'll prevent the testosterone from having an effect that would maybe help the, the tumor to grow. Correct. So um, that's what those are about. And they're used in different, different stages di- um, during treatment. So that's that's one option, but for you, um, radiation therapy was what you ultimately determined to be the first and best treatment for you. Is that correct? It was a radiation. It was a combination of radiation plus brachytherapy, and maybe you want to talk about that. Right. Well, the brachytherapy is also radiation yeah. treatment. Yeah. So, um, first of all, when we hear radiation, what does that mean to you? Oh well, it means uh, uh, some unknown uh, consequences or, or results from that uh, that maybe were not intended. Um, you know, radiation always tends to scare people. Yeah. Now there was a cartoon. One of the superheroes was radiated <laughs> by gamma rays, wasn't he? Yes, Doctor Gannon. Yes. yes. <laughs> was that the Hulk? <laughs> I can't I don't remember, remember but yeah, it, it wasn't a very interesting. It was a very interesting outcome. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Well, so anyway, just 
uh, radiation um, is an electromagnetic energy. And so that's the same stuff that we get from the sun. And what we can see, light, is relatively low energy. Yeah. Electromagnetic radiation, there's a spec narrow spectrum we can see, and microwaves are long and not high energy. Gamma rays are are high energy, very, very powerful rays. So for you, um, there's when you have the, the radiation that's that's targeted and not the seed, not the brachytherapy, um, this is where they're they're sending these these this high energy, this radiation that's given off. You have basically an unstable uh, molecule atom, and it gives off this energy, and you and you direct it, you target it. Uh, I don't want to go too long into this, but does that make sense? Yeah, and uh, what I uh, went into was called what they called DART. That's dynamic adaptive uh, radiation technology, mm -hmm. and what that allows it to do because it is so targeted, they can use a lower dose of radiation, and 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 also there's a timing. They even measure your breathing, so they can, if you will, send the torpedoes in just at the right time. Oh, very targeted. So that very you're, targeted. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So that's. Uh, very, very rough description. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're so not the, torpedoes. They're not <laughs> torpedoes. <laughs> um, but um, there's, and there's proton uh, treatments as well, which is high energy and doesn't go quite as deep into the tissue. And again, it depends. I, I don't have the knowledge about this, about what, what the situation is with that patient and what kind of exact treatment they're going to use, whether it's proton or a more standard uh, radiation where what they do are they send these you hear an, uh, uh, an accelerator electron accelerator yes linear accelerator it hits like a heavy metal and that sends off this energy and, and away you go and the brachytherapy where they do this seed that they implant they just let that irradiate till it's done yeah and it's a very short period of time yeah. so you're not uh, you're not you're not irradiated for a very long period, maybe uh, a couple of days, actually. Yeah. Well, it's iridium, I think, is probably what you used. I think it was iridium, yes. Yeah. And I think it would be 190. An isotope. Um, should we talk about isotopes? Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real quick. Carbon, there was no new uh, atoms or minerals discovered on the moon. But when they brought it back, carbon, instead of being carbon-12, was carbon-14, which simply meant... It had two extra neutrons in the nucleus. A little different situation. So when you hear about an isotope, like with iridium, there's a little more energy in that nucleus. And so that's an unstable situation. So the radioactivity is simply giving off the energy. And in the, in the, in the, this is with regard to the neutrons. And it gets to a more stable form and it's done. So that's what you were. Right. That's, that was the treatment for you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm. I don't know how important that all is exactly in deciding, but I feel like it's kind of good to get just a general idea of what this all, you know, what the talk is about. Radiation therapy. Well, what are we doing here? Right. And all these different scans, PET scans, magnetic resonance imaging and things like that. They use um, transrectal uh, ultrasound and all, all kinds of different ways to scan. So these are, this is just the technology. It's kind of a... Uh, it's phenomenal that we have it at our fingertips. Exactly, exactly. You know, then there's, there's always the surgery, which uh, you know, the, the surgeons uh, believe that's the the way to go. And um, I know a lot of people have had the surgery, and it's been success successful. That's right. Some of the 
some of the advantage though is with the radiation therapy is that there's there's not as much urinary incontinence, Correct. Uh, this kind of thing. Rectile dysfunction is usually not quite as prevalent, and if there if it is present, can be treated. Correct. Um, Correct. And uh, how they position that is that uh, it is more pervasive than uh, than the surgery sometimes because you don't you you want to get it all. And uh, sometimes, uh, at least the pe- people in radiology say that's the way to get it all. Right. I um, and that is again to to your involvement in the treatment. That's what you're looking for, so that you have some sense of um, you've done what you know the job completely. Correct. And, and minimize the damage to yourself and your quality of life. Exactly. It's always about that. Right. Right. And people have different ideas about. Their approach to things, there might be, you know, there's going to be some men who are like, let's, let's get this and let's get it completely. And so they go for a radical surgery. Exactly. And that's, you know, once you do that, it's over and done. You may have some follow-up, uh, but uh, the, the radiation, you know, frankly, does take uh, about 40 days. And it's just maybe five or 10 minutes a day, but it, it, you have to be there every day. And that's just, again, you... Or since you were part of this, this is adhering to what you need to do and being disciplined about it, which is absolutely necessary. Sure. And when you went into this, did you have a positive attitude? What was your... I was scared to death, yeah. <laughs> yeah. frankly. But, you know, uh, you, you get through that. And once it's explained to you that, uh, you know, the survival rate on this, and, and that is the easiest treatable cancer that, that there is. Right. And so once you go in with that frame of mind, uh, it, you become a lot more positive about it. Yeah. And when it's, uh, I think it's a pretty good indi- indication of the survival rate when one of the options is waiting and, and watching. Correct, correct. Yeah. They have something called a Gleason score. Yeah. And uh, depending on your Gleason score, um, a three is okay. A three says, okay, you can watch and wait. Once you get beyond that, then there's, there's something going on. There's, there's, there's an active cell in there. Right. Now, is that when you start talking like Jackie Gleason? Is that the yeah. measure? Of- <laughs> and away we go. <laughs> so um, the Gleason scale, the higher the number, is, is it's not so good news. Right. They rate you with two numbers. Right. And, uh, you know, a 3-3 three, three or a combination 6 is something that you can say, okay, we can watch and wait. Right. Once you get to a 3-4 and above, then that's something that says you need to start taking some action. Yeah. And so it's a relative thing. So what they do is take a look at normal cells and then the cells that they might find in you and how how dramatically different are they from what a normal cell would be, exactly. and that re- that results in a higher Gleason scale. Exactly. So it's a relative thing, but it's good to just know what these when they start throwing these terms out. What's you know what they're doing, and again, to help you. And I understand, I understand your your feeling going into it, but just to have to be able to breathe and say, okay, I know what that means now, and move on to the next uh, challenge. There's a comfort in, in in kind of knowing what's going on and what the terms are. I can completely believe that so again from from my side this is druggist for the people these treatments this radiation and there are um, pharmacists who are involved in preparing and getting these kinds of treatments ready uh, sometimes but I, I have not practiced in that field so for me the hormone therapy is really the only one I've you know dispensed and seen used in the clinical settings and again it's just these are things that in different ways, are preventing the formation of the testosterone, 
preventing the the recept from from being able to hit a receptor um, surgery. Uh, you know they can uh, they can treat people the way they <laughs> way they might uh, bowl uh, with removing the testes, so that you completely re- remove the source of these things. This is again you get into radical options with this. Correct. So um, that that sort of I suppose the point here is to find out what what road you might be going down, and and then and then discover and research and find out what those possible options are for you. Absolutely. And then you can dig into specifics about hey, what does this do exactly? And if you have a pharmacist that you use, and I hope you do, you can call that person and explain what's going on and give the drug and. and you know, if they're not prepared or able at that point, set up a time and have a discussion about it and try to learn. I think getting an image of how this stuff works helps to just have some basic comprehension and you, you get into all these specifics and listening to you, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's impressive, Tony, and it's um, probably why you're doing well, I think. I uh, I've been cancer free for seven years. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. So, and uh, you know, it's it's gratifying when when you get a, a you still get the PSA tests, and when they're uh, less than one tenth of one percent, you're pretty happy about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else? I I think we've covered um, what we can here. I I think that your opening remark about getting with a support group, talking to people, and get that what their experiences are. And then your active participation in in the process is exemplary, really. Right. I mean, find people. You're going to know when, when 13 out of 100 people have it. Uh, you're going to know people. You're going to know people around you who yeah. have had it and have dealt with it. And it's good to talk to as many people as you can. Yeah. Well, and as usual with us with the with this podcast, it's about getting involved. And when you start, when you've gone through this process or going through it, I think it's a great idea to journal. Uh, and so to remember what date and time and what was the gist of what this physician explained to you so that you have sort of a map that you can follow. And then when you start your therapy, um, determine what kind of effects it's having on you so that you can accurately interact with your physician, with your healthcare team um, and follow up. Right. It helps you to ask the right questions. Yeah. Okay. Well, I so appreciate it. And again, the American Cancer Society is a really good site to to go on and you can find a nice list to start with for questions to ask throughout the, the treatment, throughout the diagnosis and the decision-making and the treatment itself. So I appreciate you being here, Tony. Don, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And I appreciate you all for listening. This has been and will be Druggist for the People. <laughs>